I'm not sure what it's like in the current decade, but back when I was in seminary, which is now 20 years ago, one of the scripture mastery verses that we worked on was Ether 12:27. And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. This was a lesson that I got to learn firsthand. As uh, my time with Elder France was coming to a close in Saragossa, I kind of reflected on how those three months had been and uh, how a lot of it was kind of an emotional gut kick, but all very necessary to, to teach me very valuable humility. This is Welcome to the Faro, Episode 5. Sam and Frodo. One thing that I neglected to mention in last week's episode was that January marked my first real zone conference as a missionary. Um, I had attended a zone conference in Barcelona during my time with Elder Riley and Elder Gadbury. Uh, I was a bit of a fish out of water just because you know, going there with an assigned companion, your long-term companion is going to be a little bit different than attending one with a a temporary companionship. Um, Let me give you a breakdown of what a zone conference is and what it entails. Once every transfer, your zone got together with another zone and would have a conference with President Watson. In this case, uh, the Saragossa zone and the Ledida zones met together in Ledida because, you know, that way the president and his ayudantes and hermano Watson wouldn't have to travel as far. The elders from Zaragoza would head out to Ledida, and we'd meet at the big old chapel there. And uh, all throughout the morning, president would interview all 16 missionaries from those two cities. It would be 12 elders and four hermanas. And, you know, those interviews would consist of, you know, uh, some one-on-one time. We'd, we'd go into a, a room where he'd have you know a table set up with some chairs we'd sit across from him and he'd open it up with a prayer or uh, sometimes it was you know the elder would open it and president would close it usually president opened it and then he'd have a prepared message kind of a of a canned thing that he would share with everybody you you kind of knew that everybody was getting the the prepared message something that he felt impressed to share with all of us and then he would give you some personalized counsel he would you know let you uh, have some time to express some concerns or ask some questions to him and, you know, see how you were doing and and uh, all that. Um, in that first zone conference that I had in Bars, it was kind of short and to the point he, you know, he shared the prepared message that he'd had. It was about, you know, whether you're a lion or a gazelle, the first thing you got to do is get up in the morning and run. President Watson was full of, of little dichos, little sayings and anecdotes and things like that because they were they were memorable and they were compact versions of larger lessons that were of value to us. And so, you know, he he relied on those very heavily for uh, for teaching lessons that needed to kind of be closer to the forefront of our minds. But he said in that first interview, you know, I have 
haven't really gotten to know you a whole lot, but you know, there's some things that I'm I'm sensing from you and observing from you, and and uh, it's helping me to decide, you know, where where we can send you and and all that for when you know the the real transfer started, and obviously that I guess would influence his decision to send me to to Zaragoza with Elder France and. And that ended up being a really good thing because in this first interview while I was in Zaragoza, um, you know, President obviously felt impressed to to address the some of the, the difficulties that I was having with Elder France being my companion, namely, you know, the, the things that I'd talked about before, um, the fact that we kind of clashed, but uh, it was hard to for me to, it was hard for me to be frustrated about him because like I said before, uh, things that he did that annoyed me, I realized I did as well. And, uh, that was a, a tough pill to swallow. Um, president in, in a very tactful way called me out on my pride and said, you know, you, you don't need to be so concerned with everybody knowing how good you are at everything. Um, I was a, I was a bit of a braggart. I, I wanted, was it, was validation the right word? I, I wanted acceptance from people. I, I wanted people to be impressed by me on a very basic level. I wanted to be liked. Maybe I even needed to be liked, um, to give you a pop culture comparison. And, you know, as, as embarrassing this, as this is, you know, it was kind of like a, Michael Scott thing like I I wanted people to like things about me in a very specific way and if they didn't I I internally got frustrated so I tried to orchestrate the admiration that I was that I was seeking and that just you know nobody nobody likes that guy um you know I I was very good at Spanish but that did not mean that I was perfect at Spanish, and that became a stumbling block for me when uh, I resisted correction on my Spanish. Um, you know, I, I wanted to be the guy that was already good at this, and instead I was really stubborn about you know using mannerisms that were what's the right word that I'm looking for that that weren't right for the for our location. I was I was big on the things that I had picked up in in California, uh, just because I, I felt like they made me authentic. And even when elders who had been in Spain for a year, year and a half, corrected me, said, "Dude, you sound like an idiot when you talk like that here." They they're gonna look at you like you're just weird. And you know, I I doubled down on that because no, I'm I'm the smart guy. I uh, you know I didn't get sent to Madrid. I only had three weeks of, in the MTC because my Spanish is so good. No, I that was not the case and and uh i needed to be humbled on that and president was very skilled at at helping you to realize that without cutting you down or even even more directly at at cutting you down without making you feel like it was personal because you know pride is a, is a massive stumbling block and it was you know pride and disobedience i would say were probably the two biggest hindrances to the work in the Spain-Barcelona mission. And he didn't beat around the bush when it came to addressing those things. He he would call you out and say, you know, this is the standard that we adhere to. 
in this mission, and this is the only way that we're going to get the help from the Lord that we need to do this work. So knock it off, set this aside, and don't worry about making everybody know XYZ about you. They already know that you're good at it. You know, Be humble and be teachable. And that right there largely sums up the time that I spent with Elder France and Thadagotha, um, just figuring out how to be humble. In a sense, figuring out the ways that I annoyed people so that I could stop doing it. And it's, it's a lesson that I, at times, still find myself learning. I spent a lot of my 20s learning that at different levels, but the, the very basic level of that began in, in Zaragoza with Elder France. The final trip that I made with Elder France was out east to Barcelona. Um, once a year, the area president, in this case it was Elder Harold B. Hillam, I believe it was B. Harold Hillam, always a mouthful to say his name. Uh, he was coming towards the end of his service as, as a 70, and he, uh, he came to the mission to kind of teach us some, some new techniques and help us to kind of break out of, a, of an established mindset that was really easy to fall into as European missionaries. And uh, I just remember meeting him, shaking his hand, looking him in the eye, and just immediately feeling the weight of the spirit that came with the calling that he had. Um, if by chance you're listening to this podcast and you're not familiar with the structure of the restored church, uh, you know, you've got God, you've got Jesus Christ at the head of the church. And then, you know, in, in terms of, you know, mortal men, you've got the first presidency, the, the prophet and his two counselors, and then the quorum of the 12 apostles. And then the, the body of priesthood authority underneath that is the, the quorums of the 70. And, you know, these are effectively, they're not lifetime appointments. These are appointments from whatever age that these men are called and and they take the calling until such time as they reach, you know, 70 years old. And so, you know, it's it's frequently a a decades long calling and it's a a commitment that kind of absorbs your whole life. Um, A lot of these guys are Americans, but they get sent all over the world and and uh, they'll have assignments kind of you know tailored to them or they'll they'll build their life around the callings that they accept so it's it's no small thing to to be a 70 in terms of the the time and energy commitment to it but uh this was a man who was very well versed in the gospel and very well versed in in how to do missionary work and how to approach people and we we learned a great deal from him um, that took about eight hours. It was most of that one day in February. And then, you know, we, we hopped it back on the train and got back to Saragossa. And that was one of those crazy long mission days. You, you take a three hour ride, you do an eight hour conference, you take a three hour ride back. It's kind of like trucking now that, you, now that I think about it. Uh, but Elder France and I were, were coming towards the end of our time together. Uh, we'd been together for two transfers. On on average, that was how long you would spend with a companion. In fact, pretty much all of mine shook out that way. Um, it, it was not that common for it to go you know longer or shorter than that. Uh, Elder France, at the end of our time together, had hit his 18 month mark out of out of a 24 month mission. 
the sister missionaries that had gone into the MTC with him were were then going home. Um, I remember him kind of being affected by that. He had spent the last six weeks working hard to exercise and you know do some jump rope and some cardio stuff every morning and and uh, eat better and lose weight and then you know realizing that a his his hermanas were going home and b he was getting transferred out to the island of Palma de Mallorca. Um, <laughs> we went down to Mercadona, the the market across the street from our apartment complex, and he bought a bunch of napolitanas and just dropped them in the microwave one after the other and ate them. And that was that was how he uh, he just dealt with that realization, like holy crap, I'm I'm down into the final quarter of of my mission, and and uh, it's a weighty thing to realize, and it's kind of hard to describe unless you've you've done it. Just you know, knowing that. At some point, you entered the MTC, and it was day one out of, I don't know, what's 365 times two? 730 days. And all of a sudden, you're you're very close to the tail end of that, and you know you, you want to still stay focused and, and all that. It's It was something that I didn't necessarily understand at the time. I'd only been out around six months myself, or coming up close to it. But he uh, he took it well, and then you know he packed up his stuff when the transfer call came, and he uh, hopped on a train to go out to Barcelona to catch a plane to fly across the Balearic Sea to Mallorca, and that was ultimately where he finished his mission. As for me, I was getting a new companion. His name was Elder Higley. Elder Higley was from Wendover. Wendover is a very small town right on the border of Utah and Nevada. And he originally told me he was from Nevada because he had heard that I was from Nevada and it was just a you know camaraderie thing. He's like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm from Nevada, from close to Nevada. <laughs> this is a place where, where no joke, you know, there's a street that runs through the middle of the town and gambling is legal on one side and it snows on the other. <laughs> it's... Uh, I didn't believe him until I'd had to stay there a couple of times for work when I worked at Turdwater, and uh, lo and behold, that's lo and behold, that's pretty much exactly Wendover, Nevada. Elder Higley and Elder France had two very different styles of of uh, what's the right way to say this interpersonal demeanor, and I don't mean this as as a knock on Elder France um, because he was the right man to be my trainer. Uh, Elder Higley, though, he had a way of persuading me to do the right thing without making me feel chastised. And it was, it was only a couple of weeks into our companionship before I, I realized that. And I, I would, became very, very grateful for it. He was an obedient elder, a diligent one, a punctual one, all of that stuff. Um, it just didn't come off so drill sergeanty the way that it did with Elder France. Like, come on, we gotta go, we gotta do this, we gotta do that, we gotta do whatever. You need to learn this, you need to do this. And with Elder Higley, it was just you know the expectation was there. He knew I had been trained, and now it was time to work. You know, I was an elder that had been out for five and a half months or so, and okay, well, you know what's expected of you. You know what we're here to do, so let's get it done. There were some other shakeups in the zone around this time. I neglected to mention that 
in the previous transfer, Elder Mount, my zone leader, uh, had been called to be one of President Watson's ayudantes up in Barcelona. So we got a new zone leader, a guy named Campbell, uh, who I was not a fan of, to put it mildly. Mainly because I've mentioned that sincerity is important as a missionary, and I don't feel that he had it. Um, it was good to be obedient, it's good to be diligent and everything, but it it felt a little bit forced coming from him. And uh, the reason why is, how much detail do I give you guys here? So every group of elders that comes in, you figure a certain amount of them will, will be given different leadership callings in the mission. And, you know, some will be district leaders, a couple will be zone leaders, one of them will be an ayudante to the president, which it's not, you know, necessarily a good or a bad thing. You just have a, a different set of responsibility. Well, there were guys that were ayudante hunters. They wanted to be the president's assistant. They they kind of wanted the prestige that, that came with that. They wanted the modified assignment. And uh, with Elder Campbell, he came in a, in a group where it was just him and one other elder. And so he figured, hey, you know, if I do a good enough job I'll, I'll get to be president's assistant. And um, to his credit, he did a, a good job with the technical stuff. You know, being being diligent, being obedient, all that stuff was important to him. But you could tell that he was, I mean, to, to put a Harry Potter reference on it, he was a Percy Weasley type. He just, he was he was gunning for it. He, he wanted the... Uh, the resume enhancement, I guess, and it, it rubbed a bunch of us the wrong way, but, you know, we, we learned to, to cope because you were going to meet lots of, of alpha types on the mission, guys that, that wanted, uh, wanted to reach that level with their calling. But that personal annoyance is something that I could put in the, uh, in the column of, you know, my pride or my disposition toward contention which is something that you know we try to avoid and and if it, the choice were to ever come down to having an annoying zone leader who works hard and wants to find people to teach versus you know having a guy that everybody likes but that you know doesn't really help us to set the pace and and work well well I I was there to work and so that was the more that was a more important thing to to be focused on. Uh, Hermana Nations also got transferred out, and so there was a new sister, Hermana McPherson, who came in from Southern California, and she and an elder Higley came up from Alicante, and uh, they had both been there for a good chunk of time. They they kind of felt like they were part of the scenery at that point. Um, it was a feeling that I would come to know and appreciate once I got transferred out of Zaragoza. Like, you know, you knew you weren't going to spend your whole mission in one city, but you might not have thought you were going to miss it that much either. And uh, they had a hard time leaving Alicante, but later Higley would tell me that, uh, you know, me being excited about the area and wanting to show him, you know, who we were teaching and who we were working with kind of helped him to to set aside his uh, his apprehension about leaving Alicante and coming up to the north. Um, and then the other elders in in Ramo Uno and in, in Branch One got transferred out, and so there was a new 
companionship that was training. Um, Elder Orok was training Elder Hill. And uh, I don't much hear from Elder Orok. In fact, I don't think I've seen him since one of the reunions over a decade ago. But uh, Hill and I are still in touch. And uh, we're still friends to this day. So the the changeover was nice as as the seasons were turning from you know a cold winter to spring and there were some new faces around the zone and uh you know whenever new missionaries come in or or the zone gets changed around you know you you kind of get to know everybody and you you find that everybody has different ideas for like oh, okay what if we all got together and did this kind of service project or you know what if we did a, a an exchange and you know you went out and did this that the other thing I guess I would say that it, it kept us all dynamic and it helped us to to keep our energy levels up, to keep working. One other thing that I want to say about Elder Higley, um, he had three months left. I was going to be the elder that killed him off. Uh, he was actually Elder Mount's MTC companion, so when, when the transfer call came, Elder Mount's like, hey, you know, he and I were companions in the MTC, you take care of him. He's like, yeah, sure, okay, you know, I don't know what to expect from this guy, but uh, he had he had three months left, and he was, he was a little bit on the chunky side, and he wanted to start doing some exercising and, and whatnot to, uh, to lose weight before he went home, and, uh, you know, I was nobody's Richard Simmons, but I did know a little bit about that. I had brought an isometric workout exercise packet with me on the mission so that I, you know, could keep building some muscle without having to lug a, a set of dumbbells and weights around all the time. But after living with him for a day or two and, and seeing what he bought at the grocery store and what he ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I was like, dude, your problem is not really exercise as much as it is like you, you got to stop eating garbage. You got to stop eating mayonnaise on spaghetti for every meal, man. You can't be doing that. You can't be cutting, putting cookies in your oatmeal. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I helped him to kind of clean up his diet and within about three or four weeks, his, his slacks started fitting a lot looser and he goes, Hey, this is, this is starting to work. I was like, yeah, yeah, lo and behold. Right. And fortunately this was you know, after the uh, the stern talking to that I got from President Watson in that in that January Zone conference, and so I wasn't uh, I wasn't flexing on him or anything. It was just it was kind of cool to see him excited about how it was working. Here's the thing. Here's what I didn't know, and uh, had a bit of a bombshell dropped on me in June. Um, you know, after he had finished his mission and gone home. He had a girlfriend waiting for him at home. Like, I knew that he had a girl that he was writing to every week, but he he said, like, yeah, she's just a friend of mine. She's written to me my whole mission. It's pretty cool. No, um, he was planning to go home and marry her, and he did in about three weeks. <laughs> and so he was losing all that weight and getting himself fitted for a, a suit in at a, at a tailor in Saragossa. And he's like, yeah, you know, I've saved up, uh, brought some of my money with me from home, and and I uh, wanted to get myself a nice Spanish suit to go home and do my my uh, homecoming speech in and get myself a nice tie and all that. No, he was getting the suit that he was going to get married in, little little devil. He didn't even tell me. I was the guy who was sending him home. But that wouldn't come for a few more months. So he uh, he put in the time with his exercises and with his diet and stuff, and he lost that weight and he got healthy. And uh, it was it was cool to be a part of that, to uh, to kind of be his 
his coach in the background a little bit and help him uh, beef up for that journey home. On a final note, as we close out the month of February, um, this was when I really started to dig in on the Novelles. I had finished my first Novelle and gotten passed off on that. Um, it was so simple that I don't really remember what all it entailed. It was just some basic stuff. With the, with the second Novelle, I had to memorize one or, one or two of the first charlas, the, the discussions that we taught. We were supposed to have them memorized verbatim. Not that we were supposed to necessarily teach them verbatim, but we were supposed to know them like the back of our hands so that we could adapt them to you know whoever we were teaching in their circumstances. Had to do that. Also had to memorize a certain number of scripture reference passages and verses of scripture. And I think the big one was that I had to read the entire Book of Mormon in Spanish in both alta um, out loud. And that was something that, like, my mouth just turned to cotton after uh, a couple of minutes of speaking nonstop Spanish like that. But uh, I was excited to do it. It was, it was a challenge where I could easily measure my progress. I, I you know, I, I would write out these charts or graphs or whatever on paper. So, okay, I need to read how many ever, however many chapters this day and this day. And uh, by the time he and I parted ways, I had finished my, my second novel of four. And for somebody who was not scholastically active, somebody who was not a good academic, somebody who wasn't a very good student, uh, finding a zeal to be a good learner so that I could be a good teacher was, was a new and exciting feeling for me. It was something that the mission gave me that I'm, I'm very grateful for. And uh, Elder Higley was very supportive and encouraging of that. Um, I think he had only reached Novelle 2 himself, but he started, you know, really working in earnest on, on his third Novelle. The jump from 2 to 3 was the hardest one. Um, really the only difference between 3 and 4 was a whole ton of reading, but uh, I'll, I'll save that for a later episode when we actually get there. In closing, the takeaway of of this particular month of the mission for me was learning how to be humble, learning what that felt like because it was going to be a a new and different sensation for me. I'm not a humble person by nature. Um, And as much as Graham Bradley needs to be humble, Elder Bradley needed to especially be humble, you know, to be, to be cognizant of the gifts that God had given me, but not to take credit for them. Uh, all of our talents, all of our gifts come from God, and we need to use them. We need to develop them and grow them, but we don't want to separate divinity from, from our talents and, and be so arrogant as to think that we gave them to ourselves. We develop things that God has given us. And understanding that was probably, for me at least, the first step on the road to humility, which was an essential step to take to have more of the Spirit with me to be a successful missionary. And everything on my mission comes back to that, because being a successful missionary 
was about setting the right example of Jesus Christ. After my mission, and I really need to go f- go back and find which talk this was. I want to say that it was Elder Holland during one of the uh, the general conference talks. One of them posed a question to you know, the, the body of the church at large that has always hung with me since. And that was that if people could only ever know the character of the Savior by looking at your example, how accurate of a picture would they have? Now, obviously, we're never going to, to reach that level of perfection and mortality. It's something that we need to strive for. And, you know, Christ was the only one who was perfect and all of that. But how hard are we striving? How hard are we working to set that example? And taking those, taking those you know, spiritual gut kicks for the first couple of months that I was out in the field, they were necessary to give me some sense of self-awareness, to see what I was doing that was inconsistent with the character of an effective missionary. And, and so overcoming that, that pride, at least initially, you know, or, or on some kind of small scale, was, was critical. And I'm very grateful that President Watson recognized that and that he listened to the impressions that, that told him to put me with Elder France. And I'm grateful for that time with Elder France that prepared me for being Elder Higley's final mission companion. Because as you'll see over the next couple of episodes, uh, being his companion was a great blessing to me. And uh, it was it was hard to see him go home, uh, as he would three months later, but... Uh, I was better for having gotten to serve with him, and I don't think I would have been ready to serve with him if I hadn't served with Elder France first. So in the end, the Lord knows his work, and he knows his servants, and he knows what they need, and if they listen, he'll give it to them. And that goes for you as much as it has ever gone for me. That'll do it for this week. Tune back in on next Monday for more Welcome to the Faro. Until then... Keep the faith.